Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Alfa Romeo Driver Podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this afternoon to talk about life, the universe and everything, I have Somerset Section Secretary and Alfa Romeo Driver Section News Editor Clive Baker. Welcome Clive. Hello Guy, nice to be here. So the way we normally start these things is is to start to delve back into your personal history. So how did you get involved in Alfa Romeo's in the first place? Yeah, that's uh, quite a story. My father was a bit of a petrol head and he always used to bring back the Daily Mail motor show review books from his trips to the motor show. And he always used to point out the, the glamorous stuff, including the Alphas. But the actual cause of my enthusiasm was a bit anarchy, really. I had a firm's car. My father and I were in business together. And I had a firm's car. It was a Vauxhall Cavalier SRI, I remember. It was coming up for replacement. And being a quantity surveyor, I decided the best thing to do by way of market research was go through the list of manufacturers and try and match up possible cars with my budget. And, of course, Alfa Romeo comes up quite quickly. So... I decided I'd go and have a look at the Alfa Romeo dealer. And in those, that it was in Cardiff uh, in 1987. And I got there and it was also a Daihatsu dealer. There were squillions of Daihatsus at the front. And right at the back was a 75, two and a half litre V6. That was the first iteration of the 75 when they had the 1.8 and the 2.5. Yeah. They also had a, a sprint in that, with that rather interesting lime green checkered upholstery that they went in for right at the end. But the, the 75 was sideways on, so I saw it in profile as I walked up to it. It was a black one. And goodness me, I remember it to this day. I was absolutely, totally blown away with this thing. And they were obviously desperate to shift them because... The dealer lent me a 1.8 for the weekend. It had a body kit on it, and I just absolutely loved it. The handling was just a, just a delight after the, uh, after the Vauxhall. Well, I wasn't quite ready to commit at that point. And July came, and I remember in Car Magazine, there was a, uh, an article about the second series 75s, which were three-litre V6s and two-litre twin sparks. And they did a whole article about driving them back from Milan to the UK. And I I almost stuck, cut out all the pictures and stuck them on. <laughs> I was absolutely blown away with this. And by spending 25% more than my budget permitted, <laughs> I could... As, as, as a good quantity surveyor. <laughs> as a um i could i could i could get the twin spark so i did and i've never really looked back that car was utterly glorious utterly glorious so that was that was the first how, how did that go and, and then what came next well i i just loved that car it was one of the most reliable cars i've ever owned i was going to say paradoxically but it's not paradoxically i've always had very reliable alphas and uh, i kept that for about three four maybe maybe more than four years but in the middle of that I went away without telling my wife I went up to London 
drained the piggy bank and bought a 76 Series 2 Spider. And I didn't tell her I'd bought it. So I turned up on the drive with it and brought her out to show it to her. And she just burst into tears. <laughs> Probably wasn't the reaction you were looking for. Not quite, no. <laughs> I, remember, I remember later on going out to a petrol station and discovering one of those Burago Monzas. About eight, is it 18th scale, something like that? Yeah. Took that home as well. And I said to her, as I walked in the kitchen door, I bought another Alpha. And she burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it took a bit of, uh, took a bit of living down that. But eventually, like everybody does, she fell in love with, with the spider. And I've still got it. It's, um, what's that? That's 30 something like 30 or 30 plus years ago yeah 30 30 years i've had it now they'll probably bury me in that have you still got the burago monza yes <laughs> then i then i traded the 75 in for a three liter v6 version a quadrifolio verdi and i loved that car for its straight line performance but it wasn't such a good handling car as the twin spark a bit heavy at the front but I adored that, absolutely adored it. It wasn't the Zender body kit one. It was just a, um, an ordinary one. And in fact, a friend of mine, who is now the parts manager at Alphaholics, Jim Spackman, he road tested that, three, that red three litre V6 before I, before I bought it, because it was, it was a demonstrator. Well, after I bought it, he said, you'll regret that. I took that up to me. <laughs> which was a bit of a laugh, but I very much loved that car. And eventually that had to go because of an increasing family size. And I'd arranged to trade it in for a Renault Espace. Lovely. And, um, the V6, I hope. Yes, it was the V6, yes. Which was, a, which, which was lovely. But I'll never forgive the salesman because when I took it in for him to value, he sort of spent all his time sucking his teeth and saying how little anybody wanted these cars and how useless they were and that it wasn't worth anything and gave me a ludicrously low offer which after a bit of haggling I managed to get up a bit but when the time came to to trade the car and go and collect the spats I turned up and he he rubbed his hands together with glee it was a Friday I remember and he said oh great he said I can have this for the weekend I'm really looking <laughs> Welly. <laughs> and I thought, you bar steward. <laughs> Don't give me any money for it, but would love to drive. Yeah. At that point, I guess you've, you've just got the Spider and the Spass. Did you ever go back to a, an Alpha Daily driver or is it? Oh, yes. Um, I, had, I had a very hectic business life at that point, mid-90s mid to um, about 2010 and I didn't have a daily driver alpha at that point but um, eventually I decided that was quite enough of that and I I got a really sensible alpha daily driver I bought a, a 147 GTA <laughs> <laughs> as a daily, there, done that as a daily driver it was just stunning i just loved it to bits but as a 
well, I still got it actually, but as a daily driver, it really hack it. So I bought myself a series of 156s um, sport wagons, which were ideal as daily drivers, except that Leslie, my partner's Ford Focus is uh, hatchback used to have a bigger loading area than the sport wagon. <laughs> which she it wasn't, was... as, wasn't as pretty, though. <laughs> but no, it wasn't as pretty. They, they are such pretty cars, those 156s, but especially the sport wagons. Yeah. The, in the meantime, I'd acquired a, an Alfetta, a, a 78 steel bumpered Alfetta GTV, and a mid-60s uh, Julia 1300 Ti, both of which I also still have. But I've got to do something sensible. I, I, I can't. <laughs> it's, it, my nerves won't stand it. <laughs> so that, that initial quantity surveyor rational decision to buy a, a 75 has, has kind of got a little out of hand. Little, you could say that, yeah. I have never... I have never been sensible about cars since. It's it's always just been delightful to own Alphas. And how did you get involved in the club? Well, I wrote a letter shortly after I bought the 75 to Twinspark. I wrote a letter to the um, club secretary, who in those days was Mike Lindsay, saying that I had, I had bought this car which was giving me wonders and sleepless nights and I used to look at myself in shop windows as I drove past and drive down high streets in slightly too low a gear and all that sort of thing and I remember he sent me that picture the alpha virus picture back yeah that is it is a bit of a meme and uh, an application form <laughs> <laughs> to join the person permanently insane and I joined, that must have been about 1989, I joined. I remember I took it to the um, 80th anniversary celebrations at Badminton House in 1990. And that was just, it just blew me away. I, I, I had to go out and buy all the history books and read up on the subject. And then a friend of mine and I joined I started up a South Wales section of the Owners Club, uh, Mario Canale, who's still got Alphas. He was the secretary and I was the general dog's body. And that's a tricky section to, to, to get going, that one, because geographically it's a, it's a very peculiar shape. It's very long and thin. You can't do anything with North Wales because there's a mountain range in between the two. Yeah. Gary Fisher in, in uh, Devon tells me he has the same problem with Devon. There's South Devon and there's North Devon, and it's difficult to join the two together. But, so I then moved to Kent for business and attended the Kent and East Sussex section, where I made loads and loads of friends, but never did anything useful because Jeff was, Jeff KB was so competently running the show down there, still is. Then eventually I retired to Somerset and hey presto, <laughs> he said, oh, just as well you've turned up, we need a secretary. <laughs> so I've, I've been kind of dabbling. When I was in the South Wales area living, I used to go to the 
Southwest Alpha Days that Les Dufty used to organise back in the 90s. And he often held them in down in the West Country here. Cricket St Thomas, I remember, was a favourite. Southwest Alpha Day had died a death by the time I'd moved back to Somerset in 2015. So I thought, well, that time we did something about that. So uh, we've we've kind of revived it. And it our best show was this recent one at the Helicopter Museum. It was... Yeah, I'm really sorry I missed that. It was just wonderful. It was really great. Nick Wright very kindly turned up, but uh, Danielle running the shop, she um, had a pinched nerve in her shoulder, I think, and couldn't put the couldn't put any of the stuff out, so she had to give it a miss. But David Faithful turned up and gave us plenty of support, so we had a great day. Those of you who were unlucky enough, like me, not to go, there is a a full report and pictures in the in the October issue of the magazine. One of the, the great pleasures of my life is going to events and have people coming up and saying how, how wonderful the magazine is. And typically I take all the, the credit for that, but then, then remember to say that it is in fact a team effort. So you're the, the section news editor. Yeah. What does that entail? It, it entails nagging people mostly. You send them out an email saying, come on. Then you send out another email saying, for goodness sake. <laughs> and then eventually they start trickling in with their pieces, which are always, always good to read. I, I really like having a sneak, sneaky peek at what's turning up and trying to make sure that we get as much of what they've actually written into the magazine as possible. So I, play, I then plague the life out of you for, uh, for making sure that they they get adequate coverage, which you always valiantly manage to achieve. People moan at me a lot about how they were grossly misrepresented with one way and another, what they're going to do next time and how they couldn't quite manage this time. But perhaps we could uh, give them a, a three-page spread for their section next time. But it's great fun. And, I mean, one of the great things about this owners club i've only ever been a member of one other owners club so i i, I don't have a good uh, comparison but it's such a people club i've got to know so many people over the years and i just, I just love it. it it's really the the thing that keeps me going and this section news editing is part of that too it's interesting that you say you like um you know knowing what's going to be there before other people do um, and it sounds sounds really trivial, but it's it's one of the things I love about editing the the whole magazine and 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 all the the publications I've been involved with over the years. There is something really nice about getting a a sneak preview of what's coming up. It's 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 um it, it, it's quite a I get quite a buzz out of that. The the other thing I'd say about the the sections, you know, given the year and a half we've all had. The enthusiasm and the continued delivery of section news when it would have been very easy just to say, oh, we've not done anything, COVID this, COVID that, you know, nothing's happened. But to have people enthusiastically writing reports of the um, of the Zoom meetings they'd had and was just really great. I was expecting a great big zero to to, to flop on my into my inbox when I asked the first question after lockdown had been running for a bit. And I was just totally amazed at the, the volume of stuff that just kept coming. In fact, one of the worst performers of the whole, the whole time 
was Somerset section. <laughs> I, I did, um, because I had a few health issues during that period, I we did rather flop out of it. But so I've got nobody to blame but myself for that. But I, I haven't had any too many moans and groans. So I think I think each section seems to have done what it wanted to do as a group of like-minded people. And some have done loads and loads and loads. John Griffiths's section always does loads of stuff. And some haven't done anything very much. But as soon as lockdown finished, they all just picked up as if nothing had happened. Yeah. And it, it was interesting. I know a lot of people talked about some of the things that they've been forced to do in lockdowns, Zoom quizzes and, and just using Zoom and how actually some of it had worked really well and, and they might continue to do some of those things. I know in the Thames Valley section, we had, we had people who had been club members for a while but had never been to a, a section meeting who turned up for the Zoom meetings because they were stuck at home. It was something to do on a, on a Tuesday evening. And so people were kind of talking about the fact there's this new normal yeah. um, and, and that maybe some of this Zoom stuff would stick. And then as soon as lockdown finished, it's all back to pub car parks. And which it'll be interesting to see whether for things like, you know, a quiz or a, an AGM or some of the stuff that isn't the most exciting thing to do face to face whether people still do, you know, throw in one out of 12 or two out of 12 virtual meetings instead of face-to-face -face ones, but I can't see it. Uh, there, is something, there is something special about meeting people and, and seeing cards that I don't think Zoom will ever replace. But it has its, it has its place. It has its, its opportunities to do something a little different. So I, I, I guess there will be times when there is something to be done if, if 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 somebody wants to do a presentation um the pirelli guys for example did did stuff yeah. where it's just not practical for everybody to rush around the country all the time i think and it was great for me i mean i i managed to meet more people from more sections during lockdown than than i had in the previous two years as editor just from doing the presentations and and visiting lots of section Zoom meetings, so it, it was good for me. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it has its place. But it, it was interesting when we had our first section meeting, our first live section meeting, when when lot after first lockdown, when things perked up a bit, we had a number of new people turning up who had never yep. before and thought, ah, now maybe there's something in this, and and they've turned up subsequently too. So. It, it has kind of given the pot a stir a bit. Yeah. Well, and I think even from a, the club at a national level, uh, you know, the big fear was that the club would be in trouble because without the face-to-face -face meetings and the events, you know, the membership would, would dwindle. And exactly the opposite's happened. You know, we've grown faster in the last 18 months than we had in the previous three or four years. Extraordinary. Even at Southwest Alpha Day this year, we had a lot of new people turn up that I've not met before. And I think Nick managed to recruit 12 new members, 11 anyway. I can't remember exactly, but he was there and thereabouts. And uh, it was fabulous. It, it, it has definitely give, it attracted people uh, and encouraged people to come out where they wouldn't otherwise have done. I'm not sure whether the whole membership is aware of this. But one of the things we've done for a few years is we have a 
a big meeting where we get all the section secretaries together one year and all of the the model registrars together the next year and you know talk about ways to improve the club and and things that you can do with a section or, or with a register and we've got the next one coming up which because of lockdown i think it i think is going to be great because it's a combined section secretaries and, and registers registrars meeting so given that the the agenda is still being shaped i'm going to, I'm going to give you a unique opportunity amongst the section secretaries what do you think we should be talking about that at, the, at that meeting what do you think the club needs to do differently or or maybe doesn't need to do differently but could do better or differently oh i suppose i always feel a sense of of guilt that i'm not doing enough centrally with the with the board members and things like that so it will be nice to catch up with that and have have some time with 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 that kind of thing and and, and encourage people to be a truly national group as well as a local group but then i i say that and one of the things that strikes me is that there are some people who are perfectly happy with it on a local basis and, and they're not terribly worried about the, um, all the sort of national hoo-ha that, that you guys at, um, at HQ want to, uh, uh, want to encourage. I think the, one of the beautiful things about this owners club is that it, it has something for everyone. Not everybody wants to go and park in a field and, and polish their tyres. They want to do a bit of racing. Not everybody wants to do racing. They want to go out and get spare parts and, and do up the, the No Hope project in their garage. <laughs> and and it, I don't think it's for nothing that we won Club of the Year. I, th- I think I have, I have not encountered another club anywhere and I have to, as I said earlier, it, it, it isn't a, a long list where there is quite such a depth of affection, not only for the cars, but for the people. I don't know what churn is on membership, but I, I know people that I got to know in the early 1990s who are still members. And it, it just kind of keeps going. And so I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm a terribly the best person to ask i'm not a revolutionary really Uh, i think it's great and we have one of the best magazines out there and it's continued to improve over the years and you've taken it to another level which is great i think the the board is thoughtful always open to uh to approach i i just i can't speak highly enough of this club actually i think it's great I always feel that um, it is quite tricky jumping from the section group into the into the region group. So that Southwest Alpha Day, for example, always gives us a challenge as to where we hold it. If we held it too far down into Devon and Cornwall, then we wouldn't get the people from elsewhere. And we had people from all over the place come to see us in Western Super Mayor this year. Yeah, and I guess if you're at the at the inland end of the region, for for want of a better um, description, then you're more likely to bring people from outside the southwest. It's just how far in you want to come and and not lose the people from from Cornwall. I guess we do get grumbles from Cornwall with places like uh, Haynes Motor Museum and the Helicopter Museum at Western Supermare, with some justification. They've got a heck of a journey. 
to get to uh, to get to those places. So it, 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 there is a dilemma between section, region, and national attendances. Yeah, but I, I guess if you're at the southwest end of Cornwall, Devon's a long way away. It is a long way away, and um, Gary Fisher doesn't always get people from Cornwall turn up to his meetings. And different people have different ideas as to what is a long way away, too. And that doesn't help. <laughs> Some people don't want to travel more than about 20 minutes to a section meeting. Well, I, th- I think I kind of understand that for a, for a regular monthly meeting. I think something like Southwest Alpha Days are a bit different. But then I used to travel to Cricket St. Thomas from Kent. So I'm not, I'm not a good example of, of a rational event attendee. But... In fact, I, I went to Croft for the um, uh, the Alfa Romeo Championship this year, the day before National Alpha Day. So I did, I did Berkshire, Darlington, Darlington, Vista, Vista home as a as a nice relaxing weekend. So I'm on I'm on the insane end of the travel spectrum. But. Well, I, I, we had uh, we had people turning up to Southwest Alpha Day who who, who must have been completely barking mad. And I think that's one of the reasons why Bisto is such a massive success is because it's if you drew a if you drew a, a sort of stuck a flag in the, in in a, in a map, Bisto would be quite close to the middle. Yes, and if you do one of those, oh, you you can't do it anymore on things like Google Maps. But I remember Auto Route when it first came out would do a an isochrone. It would show you all the places you could get to within an hour, which was great if you were going out for a, a country drive. I suspect if you did an isochrone from the middle of, of Bista, it probably goes out further than almost anywhere else in the country because the motorway access is so good. Yes. That it's, even though it's, it is southern rather than central, it's, it's an incredibly easy place to get to. Yes. And it, it, it's, it, it's covered in, in, in the attendance, the massive attendances you've had at those, those events. I haven't attended any of them, funnily enough, because <laughs> things have got in the way, but I would love to. And it's such a good... I think, I think you'll get at least one more chance. Good. Without giving, without giving away too many secrets. I'll try and stay a member that long. Just to, to, to finish off then, uh, we talked about what the club could do differently. Um, if you think back over your few years of Alpha ownership and your years of, of club membership, what would you say has been the, the highlight or a couple of highlights of the, the time you've been involved? It, it all comes down to people again. It's getting to see people you haven't seen for a long time. It's getting to events where you, you suddenly turn around the corner and there's somebody standing there you haven't seen for 20 years, 30 years. Those are highlights. Those are highlights. And seeing exceptional cars too seeing those photos of the the eight c's the old 2300 8 c's 30s cars that is very magical when they turn out to events and then you 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 bump into old friends and have coffee with them that's what makes the club magical yeah i agree i I, when i joined as a as a youngish alfred sprint owner I don't think I ever imagined that I would get a, a tingle down my spine when I saw a pre-war 8C. But as, as you said earlier, once you once you get into the history and, and understand where the mark came from and, and, and what what the, the racing team was achieving in the, the 20s and 30s, it's um, it's incredible. You don't forget that. And it 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 always it always upsets me that there is this dilemma in Alfa Romeo ownership in that 
you constantly wanted to start producing cars in large numbers that people rush out and buy in large numbers. But at the same time, we are a very exclusive group of people and group of cars. And who knows where the where the best goes. I, I Ever since I bought my first Alfa in 1987, there have been, I don't know, 20 or 30 dramatic announcements that um, Alfa is uh, once again going to be uh, a, a brand that's all over the place. And actually, as I get older, I start to wonder whether I really want that. <laughs> Uh, so brilliant that's been fantastic Clive it's been an absolute pleasure great to talk to you I've really enjoyed doing it I thank you for asking me well that's all we have time for we'll be back in two weeks time when we'll have a very special guest legendary pre-war alpha restoration specialist Jim Stokes episode 43 will be available to download from the club website iTunes Podbean Google Podcasts and everywhere else good podcasts are found from 1.30pm on October the 24th until then stay safe Thank you.